This podcast is made possible by listener support on Patreon. If you would like to support the podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Sam Reed's near-death experiences. Why should I be frightened of dying? You know reason for it. You better go sometimes. Hello, and welcome to the Sam Reed's Near-Death Experiences podcast. Uh, I hope you all are doing well. Today I have a near-death experience coming from a uh, woman from France. Every now and then we like to find ones that are from different countries and different cultures um, because I think that helps us get a better idea of, of uh, what these experiences are. And uh, this is translated from French, so if every now and then something sounds a little different, uh, her wording or something, then that's just because it's a little lost in translation. But for the most part, this is a very interesting and clear and uh, and fascinating near-death experience because, yet again, we have one that is essentially kind of like a dream. It's She's not very clear whether it's... Uh, whether she was close to dying or whether this was a dream, I guess later on she she mentions uh, in some of the questions that follow this story that uh, she was suspected of having heart failure, but it's it's not entirely clear in this story. But yet again, we're dealing with dreams. Um, as I tend to bring them up a lot, I think <laughs> this one stood out to me a little bit. But uh, this near-death experience happened in 1993. Um, This woman, Natasha, was laying in bed and um, just started to have this experience. It's kind of the start of it. It's a little ambiguous, but um, very interesting, and I I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, As always, well, not always, but usually, as as usual, I have found this at... uh, um, at the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, nderf.org, and I will post the link to it in the description of this episode. If you want to go over there and, and check them out, they have a lot of different stories like this, and uh, it's really fun just to browse through um, and read all the different uh, stories of near-death experiences that people have, and there are a lot, so I definitely recommend you go check those out at some point. Um And with that, I think we can just roll on into the story here. So here is Natasha's near-death experience. Since age 17, I had heart problems that caused such intense chest pains that I couldn't sleep very well. That night, I seemed to be in an experience that started without me. I found myself above my body while observing it. I was telling myself at the same time, God, how ugly is that body, and God, how beautiful it is. I was able to see with two kinds of visions. The first one gave me the impression that I was looking through a microscope. It was a strange vision of my body. It was not ugly in terms of aesthetics but it was in comparison with the second way I was able to see my body. My second vision allowed me to see splendidly, and there was seemingly pulsating colors of a life that was their own. This remark then made me realize that I was there. 
Without any feeling of fear or anxiety, I asked myself, are you dreaming? But everything seemed so much more real, so that I was convinced of the reality of the moment. I never had any doubts afterwards. I noted without too much worrying that I had to be alive. I wondered, what shall I do now? The thought had barely come to me when in a fraction of a second, I found myself in a place no word could describe. It was the most beautiful garden that shimmered with intense lights of all kinds of colors, but it did not hurt my eyes. Although I mentioned seeing with my eyes, it is in that instant that I realized that I could see everywhere and that my body could see everything and feel everything. The sense of sight was not related to my eyes, and yet I accepted this wonder as a norm. How could I describe this energy of life, the love that bombarded me from everywhere, integrated me into a sensation of such power that I plunged into sort of a hypnotic beatitude in front of the grass? I was that grass. She was me. I was unique, and yet I was in a kind of osmosis with her. It seemed to me that she was the most beautiful thing that I had ever been able to see. What drew me from this contemplation was a warm and loving wave that came from behind on the right side. I was overwhelmed with great laughter. I turned around like a human being, looking to see behind him, even as I saw him perfectly on all sides. I mention this because it seems so very funny. Next, I was standing in front of a huge porch with an indescribable white light. What words could one use when there are none? If God were to appear to me in all his greatness and power of love, I would say that this threshold led to him. A huge weight seemed to have fallen off my shoulders. And overtaken with deep emotion, it seemed to me that I was returning home. As I decided to go through this door, an energy again came to my side. I knew right away that a being was there. And here I am, turning around again, laughing for the second time. It was such a good joke. In front of me was a light that was more present and ready to communicate with me. I approached the light and asked who he was. I knew he was different. Different but always full of love and an overwhelming understanding. I knew that he knew everything about me. He answered me by not using words, but through feelings of emotions captured throughout all my body. I will be what you want me to be. I realized that this being could not appear to me in his true form and full goodness, but he gave me the choice of what form he would take. Although I knew he was not my guardian angel, I asked him anyway, are you my guardian angel? Then under my amazed gaze, this entity of love was transformed into an angel of such perfect beauty. The wings were pointed towards the sky and he had an angelic look overflowing with love that was directed at me. Can such a being be described? This light being was so full of love and was already magnificent and grandiose. But in his reassuring form as an angel, he seemed to reach an even greater level of grandeur. 
I came back down very quickly to the reality of our discussion when I was told that the time had not yet come for me to pass through the door. To convince me of it, he showed me my two sisters whom I loved more than anything in the world. I saw all those moments that make and create links on our earth and knew I would not want to break those links for anything. But here's the thing, where I found myself, the door of God was more love, more real, and more attractive than all the craziest dreams I could have ever wanted here on earth. I pointed out to him that my sisters were going to join me soon because time does not exist there. I said that as if it were an established truth that my sisters would join me in a moment. And very slowly, which is strange when one thinks in that place, as thought moves us at a vertiginous speed, my angel repeated that it was not time for me to leave and that I still had things to do. But I wanted so much to go home, so much so that I asked him once again to kindly change his mind. He was firm on the subject. I knew that I had no choice on my part, and there were no questions about an eventual possibility of change. Then he made a strange move, and I found myself surrounded by his light. It was like when a child finds oneself in the arms of their mother, but stronger. His love was stronger, more present, true, and more real. Then it was as if I was sucked backwards. I found myself in a cramped, tight, black, and cold place. The light had left me, and the powerful air I breathed in was hurting me. I realized that I was back in my body. I do not know what happened next in the seconds or minutes that followed. I was standing in my eldest sister's room, whom I woke up by turning on the light, and I burst into tears when she asked me what was wrong with me. I could not answer because I kept crying while saying I was scared. I felt abandoned and had given over to that nameless cold. I felt as if I was lost in a place that did not seem real to me. Yet as I looked around me, I knew this was my reality. Then lying beside my sister, holding her hand from anguish, I repeated to her, Do not sleep, do not sleep. Let me fall asleep before you. Do not leave me. I ended up falling asleep. When I awoke, my sister asked me what had happened. I had frightened her because that night when I entered her bedroom, I looked like a corpse in the artificial light. She said I was walking about, devoid of color. I could not bring myself to share these strong moments, which words could hardly describe without difficulty. Can one describe unknown colors, meanings that do not exist on earth, and then a love so great and so strong? How can one go on every day feeling as if you have lost something that you cannot even find on earth? It took me months not to cry every time I remembered that door where the most wonderful thing that I was ever allowed to know was located. I have called it God. But God was no longer the symbol of a terrifying power that would wait for my death, judge me, and send me into a pit of fire. No, he was at every moment in my heart and in all things around me. Yet I only stayed at the threshold of his house. 
His messenger, that beautiful guardian angel, could have been God for me considering that the goodness that characterized him was immense. But in comparison with the love coming from that door, it was still smaller or less than beyond what was emanating from beyond the door. It gives me the feeling of diminishing this being of light that has no equal here on earth. And since then, on this station platform that my life seems to be, I wait until it is time for my departure to join him. With all my heart, and while I wait to join him, I am physically and psychologically healing people who come to me for help. Because of the distress of those who see death as an end, one day, years later, I began to tell my experience from time to time. My heart is so happy to remember this beauty, and sharing it is so rewarding. Even when I am not believed, I know that somewhere, someday, that person will say to themselves, what if? And maybe they can feel peace for a moment, as I am at peace, thanks be to God. Okay, so that was Natasha's near-death experience. Hope you all enjoyed hearing it. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. I thought it was very interesting, and um, there were a couple things that I wanted to point out. Um, The first being that this is yet another example of a time where the line between what is a dream and what is a near-death experience is pretty blurry. Um... I know we've had an uh, episode of the podcast before where uh, a dream became essentially a near-death experience, and and here we have another one. And it's kind of hard to to say, even by the way she describes it, whether this had something to do with her actually being close to death or whether it was just an intense dream that took on this this aspect of a near-death experience of, of... an experience of the divine, we might say. Um, like she, she mentions that she had chest issues, and and a cardiologist had, um, you know, I guess diagnosed her with something, but it's unclear if that's what caused this. It just seemed like, from the way she described it, that this experience just started happening when she was lying in bed. So, um, I just. I don't know what that means for us. Like, we have dreams every night, and, well, most of us are in some degree, and um, the fact that apparently a dream can blend so seamlessly into this overwhelming experience of of a divinity, it kind of, you know, makes me want to pay even more attention to my dreams and take them that much more seriously. We tend to, we have the, a prejudice um, in this day and age that our dreams are just fantasy or, you know, just silly things that aren't real and happen in the middle of the night. And sometimes they are pretty funny and they can be pretty weird. And, you know, um, but I don't think that we should use that as an excuse to write them off as if we're not living in them, as if we're not, um, uh, if, as if there's something superfluous to our existence they are i mean we live in our dreams and 
It's not inconceivable to me to say that some people live their best moments in their dreams, and some people may hit rock bottom in their dreams. I mean, we take actions and we do things uh, in them just as much as we do in, in real life and make decisions. And, you know, I don't think that we should so carelessly uh, throw that into the waste bin and, and uh, write it off as just a dream. Uh, you know, it's just, just a nightmare. Go back to sleep. It's just a, just a silly dream. But it seems that dreams have something to do with God and what is beyond us. And I don't know what that is, and I don't think I can say that what that is, but um, that certainly seems to be what comes through if you treat them seriously, which I would recommend you all do. Um, you know, I've been writing down my dreams for the better part of a year now, um, and that's been very, very meaningful for me. So I can't recommend that enough. Um, so another thing that I wanted to mention, which I also don't really quite know what, what to make of, but I found extremely, extremely significant, was how her interaction with this being of light kind of played out. Where she, there's this being that... She talks about how she looked over her shoulder to see him, even though he was everywhere, or he was, she could see him everywhere, um, and that this was a joke, and that um, she started talking to him, and uh, she understood that he could take whatever form that she wanted him to take. Um, and I think this is very, very important for how we might be able to look at near-death experiences. Because usually, you know, somebody has a near-death experience and, you know, they tell their story and it's got certain characteristics which are common among other near-death experiences, but the details are all different. You know, they might describe God as an, an eye, you know, a glistening eye like in our last episode, or a bright light. In this case, it was God was behind a door, or there might be a beam of light, like there's, there might be a waterfall or a lake or a, a landscape or a, you know, a city or something. Like there's lots of different variations. And um, this one line that, I can take whatever form you want me to take is is so important that it's kind of explicitly laid out by this experience by whatever personality that she's talking to to that these experiences can be suited to whatever you prefer uh in this case she um suggests that he take the form of a guardian angel, which he does, and she's kind of overwhelmed by the beauty um, that he emanates. But, you know, this being of light, she could have said Jesus, she could have said Buddha. You know, I, I think that this this willingness to, to have it be tailor-made for whatever the experiencer expects or wants or, or um, you know, 
uh, plans to see. That's something that <laughs> that seems very, very, uh, very important to me because it's not like you know someone who's been raised a Christian their whole life like has a near death experience and it's and uh, they get up to this afterlife realm and it's all the Hindu deities like all you know staring down at this person and you know <laughs> there's it seems to be that people get what they expect to, to a certain degree even in the more atheistic kind of leaning ways um uh i i believe wilson's fear death experience which i did a while back he saw i don't know the universe as a cosmic kind of water wheel that was um you know, cycling through endless variations, and he wasn't very much of a religious person, and that um, was certainly confirmed by his experience. And so, I think this this idea of of whatever order lies underneath can take different forms depending on what you uh, are expecting to see, and. This honestly leads me to, based on everything that I've read and and all the reading, all these different experience experiences, that it makes me think that this is what these seem to be is is some kind of I don't know experience of your own depths, and like I've kind of mentioned before with some of these Jungian um, analyses that I've been doing. I I don't I don't think saying that a near death experience is an experience of yourself makes it any less divine because it seems like at the bottom of everything there is this um collective transpersonal experience of of the image of god or or deity and that that might link us all in some way I don't I don't quite know but it seems like uh, it seems like near-death experiences could at least be characterized, maybe, as an experience of one's own psyche or the depths of one's soul, and that does not detract from any of the divinity or the power or the um, numinosity of these experiences because honestly I don't it doesn't seem that seem to me that like we know ourselves that well but um and of course it's it's not to say anything of the true metaphysics of of god and religion and all theology and all that stuff I mean um like I said before people tend to get what they expect to get although not entirely. She mentions herself that she doesn't think of a, a God as a uh, judgmental king that's waiting to uh, throw her into hell anymore. And um, and we we also get a bit of a bit of uh, food for thought um, about the perhaps one of the manifestations of God. She mentions that while she could have seen her guardian angel kind of as God because of how, you know, 
uh, unspeakably loving and complete he was and powerful and, and all those things, she still felt that that whatever he was was less than the uh, whatever was behind the door that uh, she was so eager to get in. Um, and so I, it doesn't seem to me entirely implausible to to characterize whatever the guardian, the being of light, the guardian angel to her was as a aspect of God, a manifestation of the image of God um, in her. And um, as and I think she even calls her, him a messenger of God. And, you know, this, this could be something that throughout history has led to the stories that we have. You know, just be, if someone has a dream today like this, they're going to interpret it in the spirit of their time. Someone has this dream or near-death experience about 2,000 years ago, well, that's going to be interpreted in the spirit of that time, and that's going to perhaps be written down in a certain way, and you can see how these, whatever these experiences are, and I can't say what they are, like I said, I don't think anybody can, can truly encompass them even you know natasha mentions multiple times that she she can't really there are no words to describe what this is but if this has been going on throughout history it's it's no wonder that we've gotten the different religious traditions that we have and and that's not something to that we should um be quite so quick to arrogantly dismiss in our current scientific kind of uh, uh, age. Um, And we definitely have a prejudice, especially in the West, that uh, we have a prejudice of, of we want things to be objective and be able to touch them and measure them. And, you know, it makes sense that we do because that's extremely powerful and we've been able to transform many people's lives through technology and and uh, everything that it has provided us but it's not all encompassing there's still uh, the subjective side of things and those must always be balanced and i'd say nowadays we're definitely um uh, leaning a little too heavily on the objective scientific side. But I think that has also caused, you know, a bunch of uh, radical subjectivism to um, pop up in response. Um, you know, people uh, who are using their feelings as a justification for whatever ideology they have or, or whatever they're trying to politically create or, you know, whatever movement or cause they're part of, uh, you know, they use their subjective feelings as, as the kind of um, the truth claim of, of whatever they're trying to do. And, and that can get radical just as much as, you know, the other side of a purely objective rational kind of dismissal of of experience. So all that's to say is we have to be balanced between the two.
And that's something that I've always tried to to incorporate into this podcast is is not to go too far in one direction or another to keep it balanced. So, well, that might be a good place to leave this this episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to uh, reach out to me, share a story with me or something, then uh, feel free to shoot me an email at samreadsneardeathexperiences at gmail.com. Um, or you can check out the Facebook page. Um, and if you are so inclined, please leave a five-star review on the on the iTunes uh, podcast app or whatever podcast app that you use. That really helps us out, and I'd appreciate it very much. Um, and if you want to follow me along in my daily life, uh, you can see what I'm up to at uh, on Instagram. Um, and my name is The Timberlion. So uh, now we will finish up the podcast with a quote on death. Okay, so today's quote about death comes from a guy called Bob Dylan. <laughs> you may have heard of him. Uh, he's one of my favorite musicians, and, and I love him. I've, I've been listening to him a lot late, lately, even though I kind of bounce around quite a bit. But um, he's the best, and... Uh, this uh, quote, one of his lyrics, uh, this comes from his song, um, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding. It's one of his earlier ones, and it's, it's fantastic. If you get a chance, you should listen to it. But anyway, here is the lyric, which I always thought was extremely poetic. He who's not busy being born is busy dying. <laughs>